Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Now, it's crazy to think that this is the second to last department of the eight departments needed to run a winning hearth business. Today's conversation is all about the showroom. And I am so passionate about this because there is so much potential for the way that our showrooms are laid out in helping customers on their journey and helping our salespeople connect better. And I think that this is low-hanging fruit that anybody listening can take advantage of. So I want to just underscore how critical this department is. And we all know this. I mean, there's a lot of showrooms in our industry that are pretty bad. I mean, yeah, I mean, we just, if you shop around and, and you go into someone's place, very often there's dust everywhere. You've got miscellaneous accessories and old fronts just stacked all over the place. And this conversation is not to bash on companies that don't have great showrooms. It's to show you the opportunity that's available if you take yours seriously. Now, In this conversation, we are going to answer some of the critical questions that people have about showrooms. And the first one is, do I show pricing or not? And I'll tell you, there's a right answer to this question. If you've been listening to me for a while, you probably know what that answer is, but we're going to dive into it. Second question is, how do I lay out the products in my showroom? We're going to talk about that. And I cannot wait for you to hear what we discuss because I think that Very often, we lay showrooms out for salespeople. You know, if you're showing gas inserts, you take 10 inserts, you double stack them, and you cram them all together so that you can technically show as many decorative fronts and fireplace options as possible. And the argument we're going to make is that, yeah, that might make sense to a salesperson or an engineer, but that's actually not the best layout for a consumer that's looking to put this in their home. We're going to get into all of that. Now, Next week, we've got one more department, and for right now, I'm not going to say what that department is. You might be able to guess if you're going through these in your head. There's one critical area of your company that we have not talked about, and honestly, there's a reason that we saved it for last, and the reason why is that if you don't have these other seven departments in place, the eighth one will not help you. So I'm just going to tease that out, but next week's conversation is going to wrap up everything that we've talked about this season. Now, as always, if you guys have questions, you can email them to tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com, and Grant and I are going to spend the last episode of this season answering those questions on the podcast. So with all that said, it's time to buckle up. Here comes the showroom. Joining me once again from Spokane, Washington is Grant Falco. Grant, I'm excited for this conversation, and and I can't believe that we are on the back end of this series on the departments of a hearth company, but we're on our second to last one talking about the showroom today. I, I feel like every week when we have these conversations, we always think this is the most important department, but man, today's conversation about the showroom, in a lot of ways, it feels like this is the most important department, right? 
It's so important, Tim. I mean, it is truly uh, how people make their first impression on you. And we all know how important first impressions are. And the showroom is going to tell people how amazing you are or how unorganized or dirty you are. And what, what do you want to, what message do you want to leave? What do you want to leave them with? That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, I remember the first time I came into Falco's, I was just blown away. So I'd, I'd met you a couple times before, and I flew up to Spokane for a training event in Colville, Washington. And I, I stopped by, and I, I think I spent either a day or two just hanging out with you there. And, and I went and I shopped some unnamed businesses in that market before I went to Falco's. And, and I will tell you that, well, I will tell you that there was a big difference. And when I came into Falco's, I pulled into the parking lot and I couldn't believe it. I just thought, this is unbelievable. I mean, you've, you've got all the grills out front. The building is amazing. You got these huge windows, big sign. You walk in the doors and it does something to you as a consumer where you feel like these people know how to help me versus going into a business where stuff is kind of strewn around, there's dust everywhere, and there's not much intentionality put into making the showroom look nice. Yeah. I mean, a sale is like a race to 100 points, and everything that you look at in that showroom is either going to give you negative points or positive points, and why start off at a, in a negative? You have to overcome so much. So if you can, if the first impression of a consumer is total comfort, organization, everything looks clean, that is, that is how they're judging you. And then, then they're, you're creating some pretty high expectations that you have to live up to. But if you can keep knocking those out and get to 100 points faster than your competitor, uh, that's, that's what allows you to win. And the showroom can give you so many notches up. It gives you a first impression and a feeling that just lends itself to the sales process. Oh, I love that, man. And it's cliche, like you can never undo a first impression, but it's the truth. Oh. And I think what we forget is we sell a really expensive appliance. I mean, we've talked about this before, but like, you know, our appliances cost what? Four to $10,000 with yeah. installation on average. I mean, if, if I'm going to go buy my wife a nice coach bag that costs 400 bucks, does that coach store look nice? Huh. Like, yeah. Yeah. If, what if I was going to go drop 10 grand on a bag? Would I expect to walk into a nice business yeah, it's a no-brainer, and and we forget what a high-dollar item we sell, and that people don't part with that kind of money easily. And it's not that well, they won't part with it in a bad showroom, but I'm telling you, the second they walk in, they see dust everywhere, they see lights that are out, they see junk in your parking lot, they start tightening their wallet strings, and it's really hard to get that money. Not just buying, they have to allow you in their house. I mean, being in their home and respecting their home starts at, at the upfront process. If they see your showroom taken care of, if they see your people in uniforms, if they see things are tight, organized, clean, um, that's how you'll take care of their house. And they have that expectation. And then it, you have to match it, which makes it difficult. But absolutely. One thing that I've done quite a bit of is secret shopping. I'm, I'm really big on this. And as, as I would secret shop different businesses in my markets, there weren't many that had that had really nice showrooms. And and we weren't perfect, but we did a pretty good job of keeping it neat and clean and on point. And customers would come in and they and they'd comment like, "Man, you guys have these amazing like modern concrete floors, you got rugs, you got decor in the right spots. It's not overflowing with junk." And they would talk about the difference between other showrooms they'd been to. 
And there were a lot of situations where I would say, well, look, you know, if you decide to do business with us, we're going to treat your house just like we treat our showroom. And, and I actually hope if you buy elsewhere that they don't treat your house like they treat their showroom. And we'd laugh about it, but it was the truth. So, so true. Uh, you know, as you were saying that, I think about something that's just so important. It's intentionality of your showroom. Like you have to be intentional. When I took over this company, uh, we used to replace just spots with other product. It was never the same. There was no organization and it looked like it. I mean, I have, I saved a picture 10 years ago and it gave, (laughs) it gives me anxiety. You have to be focused and intentional about how you make that consumer's buying experience the best you can. And it really comes down to sales flow. Your showroom has to be set up and your showroom is, Tim, to flow with the sale. And and you've set it up and it starts with things that we've talked about like categories and good, better, best and different things like that. But if it doesn't flow, man, it just is crippling. And it all starts with being intentional about it, thinking of it as a tool versus just something to fill space. Oh, that's so good. Okay, well, I want to start getting practical. And what I want to talk about first off is something that that you gave me a number of years ago. And I remember after going to Falco's, I I just couldn't believe it. I I had not seen a showroom that was that impressive when it came to the entire experience, what it looked like when you rolled up, how it was taken care of when you were inside, and then the sales and, and customer experience. So what you did is you gave me a weekly slash daily checklist. And and this is going to be very similar to what we talked about last week in regards to grounds and warehouse. And this checklist was organized by days of the week. And I believe it was your utility hire that was responsible for taking care of this. And you sent it to me and, and that it changed the way that I looked at my showrooms whenever that was four years back. And what it did was it, it gave a direction, right? We all knew that the glass on the stoves needed to be cleaned. We all knew that at some point the showroom needed to be dusted, that batteries in the remotes needed to be checked, but now we had a marker to aim at. And so what I did is I created a daily basics list based on what you sent me. And, and, and basically it's a checklist. We'll go through some of it in just a second. But across the top, I, I put this phrase that says, if you want to go hunting, it helps to keep the spear sharp. And, and that's what our showroom is. Like, do you want to have a dull like spoon to try to go hunting with or do you want to have a razor sharp spear if you're going hunting there's no question that that you need it to be sharp yep no question tim well let's go ahead and dive into this so again i can't take credit for this because this all came from you i just contextualized it to my business but let's just take a look at this and 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 talk through it so monday we've got some really basic things on the list number one check all the remote batteries Number two, call will calls. Number three, stock the showroom fridge. Number four, stock the coffee supplies. And number five, straighten up the front counter. Pretty basic, right? Oh, totally. I mean, the the beautiful part of that, Tim, is like they're in writing, documented, and I would imagine done weekly, right? And turned in. Yep. And, And the cool part about a checklist, and I'm like, that I just create checklist after checklist for accountability. And it, it, it I, I fight the micromanagement feeling, but you're giving them the, the, the lines on the court, like we've talked about so many times. And, but the most important part about a checklist is sometimes you don't get it all done. Yeah. And guess what? You know what you didn't get done. When we rely on our memory, all these things we know, you're going to go through Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, everybody knows that those are the things that they need to do. But when they're not done, we don't know where to start that next week. 
with this checklist we do. Because I'm yeah. going to tell you, if you get the bathrooms done on Monday, but you haven't cleaned and organized the, the back room and the tool bench last Monday, you better do that first on this Monday because it's two weeks of clutter and mess. And it keeps it focused. And that's why when you come into our showroom, 99% of the time, it's perfect. Not because I remember to do it all the time or my team remembers to do it all the time. It's just every Monday, this is what we do. And if you miss it, you know what you missed and you know what to get back to. Uh, and then if we all have things that we have to do that are standard, and then we have this chaos that comes in. And in my company, Louis Falco comes in and says, I need this project done and I need this project done. Well, before, I didn't know what I was sacrificing. I He didn't know what we were sacrificing. The person being asked didn't know. He was going to say yes to Louis Falco. He is our boss. But what are we not getting done because of that? And how do we get back to that, the checklist uh, is exactly how you do it. Yeah, and and I love that you talked about the bathroom. I'm going to go there in just one second because I am passionate about the bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. So so that's Monday. Now in in my company, Tuesdays we had sales meetings in the morning, and and in my companies we had actually our sales team doing this. We didn't have a utility hire; it was our sales yeah. team that was yeah. responsible for the showrooms. So we didn't have anything for Tuesday, but on Wednesday we've got check showroom light bulbs. Check showroom literature stock. Check our paperwork slash folder stock. We had we had customer materials that we'd give them with all of our proposals. Straighten up the front counter. Wipe down the bathroom with Lysol wipes. Thursday, make sure the tape measure's in place. Have you guys ever been in a showroom where you can't find the tape measure? Dust all fireplaces and inserts. Straighten up the front counter. Stock the showroom fridge. Fridays, what didn't get done from the list above? Okay, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but but you you get how this works. Like, there's a system in place to make this easy. And and if you have a utility hire, like we talked about last week, how long does it take to do these things? Like, not that long, but at least they've got the marker in front of them where they know what they're doing. Well, you're setting up expectations. So, like, let's say you do hire a utility person that that needs to do this. You now know if he's doing a good job or not. Just yeah. automatically, right? I mean, it's a pretty amazing tool, and it's because you're laying it out, saying, "This is what I expect. I never want to see a dead light, and you should never see a light bulb out because you check it weekly." It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's really good. And I want to go to the bathroom here because this is super super important. So, whenever Tim Rethlake goes into a business, he can have some scathing criticism, and a lot of it comes down to the bathroom, where he says, "You know." Uh, my wife is not going to buy from you if she goes into your bathroom and it's disgusting. Just period. She's not gonna. And and I think it's really important. So this is probably five years ago. We actually started a daily bathroom cleaning program. And this was the sales team that was responsible for it. And what we did is we took a laminated piece of paper and I made eight steps to clean the bathroom. Like eight steps. And we laminated it. We put it up in the bathroom so anyone in the bathroom can see it. And every single day, the team member's name is written who completed the work along with a date. And the beauty of that is every single day, the customer goes into a clean bathroom and sees that it was actually cleaned that day by a team member. And that makes a difference. Oh, huge. For our our training, what we did, like literally, it's, it's simple. Like step one is to take a Swiffer rag to dust all the corners of the ceiling. 
Step two is dust the light fixture. Step three is clean the mirror. Step four is scrub the toilet bowl. Step five, it goes down the list. The last step is reface the cleaning supplies so that they look perfect. And what would happen is we would literally have customers come in, use the restroom, and when they come back onto the showroom floor in the sales presentation, they'd make a comment about how we cleaned the bathroom that day. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful, Tim. I mean, sales are about these like these huge victories at different points. And believe it or not, isn't that an amazing victory for you? If something that is as simple as the bathroom isn't taken care of by your competition, yet it's not only taken care of by you, it has a checklist and it's done daily. How is that customer? What's that customer's impression of you? It's, it's amazing. You, you can't market that. You just yeah. can't. And it's uh, what so many people diminish, but it's such an opportunity in the bathroom. Or like I think of how we greet customers. We don't have sales greet them. We have support staff go out there, uh, ask them a few questions, don't answer any questions, and get them pointed in the right direction. And, and when I get feedback, it really comes down to those little victories. When I ask people why they buy from us, a lot of the time they will say, I felt so comfortable coming into your showroom. It looked amazing. I was greeted. I was pointed in the right direction, no pressure. And I could have a salesperson come out when I needed it to. And it's those little victories that are actually huge victories that get you the sale, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, okay. I want to tee you up for this before we move on. One thing that Falco's is just renowned for is the way that you stack your pellets. When you walk into (laughs) Falco's, you stock like every flavor of pellets imaginable on this beautiful display rack and they are pristine can you talk about the mentality of why that matters and what it's done for you yeah so um you know as a family business you're kind of told that you're responsible for stuff but it's maybe not in your title and uh when my brother left the company what's now six or seven years ago you know i had to assume the responsibility for the showroom and tyler was on his way to doing a lot of things that i did now do now and and pellets were something that i actually learned from him he was always very particular about the way the pellets went well as i uh grew in what I wanted, I utilized the pellet stack as a representation of who we are to both my employees and to my customers. And so I'm crazy about it. And everybody knows, all 34 employees know that I'm crazy about it. And I just had a conversation with our utility guy yesterday and I'd walked him over there and I said, what's wrong? And he's looking at him thinking that they're perfect. And from front to back, they're leaning, you know, leaning forward. They're supposed to be straight. And what I'm doing is taking him from a 95% success rate to a hundred percent success rate, but I'm also bleeding through a mentality. Yeah. And it started with the pellets and then guess what? It went to merchandising. It went to categories for the pellet stoves. It went to good, better, best, getting everything together, making that sales flow. It all started with the pellets and it even bled into service trucks, warehouse. That's Grant's mentality. Yeah. He's crazy, but this is what he expects. And if you do it consistently and you, I mean, they manage it. 95%, 90% is amazing when a lot of times if you don't manage it, you end up with uh, just a lesser grade and, and a le- more um, dishevelment in your showroom. So the, the pellets are just a huge part of the mentality that I bled through to the company. Yeah. I mean, and if you take that mentality to look at like the way your barbecues are displayed, your, your fireplaces and stoves are displayed, it's really intentional. And anybody that walks in, it's one of those things that customers expect it and 
but they don't tell you that, right? So, like, when a customer walks in to buy a $1,500 pellet grill from you, they actually expect that the pellets won't be totally covered in dust. They expect that when they pick up a bag, it doesn't have a hole in it and pellets are going all over the floor. But they don't tell you that. And and I think what you've done is is you are meeting unset expectations, which is one of the most important things you can do in sales. Yeah, I mean, like, think about this, Tim. Uh, if your showroom is unorganized is dirty if you greet the customer in a in an awkward way but you are the best salesperson the best installer and the best service guy that your town has or across the street there is a beautiful showroom organized to the tilt but they are not quite who you are they're not as good as you in all those other three major categories who's going to win Oh, the second one, no question. No question. The showroom is going to win. I, I, and, and so we, we, in our industry, I mean, my dad travels all around, and, and I'm just going to say it. Our industry does not do a good job of this. No. We just fill holes. We believe that dusting once a month is okay, or once a, once a week is even, is even rough. Uh, and, and it's not. And we're losing so much because of it. And don't tell me you're the best at installing, selling, or servicing because if you don't get that first thing figured out, they aren't even getting there. Yeah, because the tip of the spear is dull. Like if exactly. you don't, if the tip of the spear is dull. It's, it's hard to work from there. Okay, I want to move on to talk about. You mentioned good, better, best. I want to go there in just one second. Let's talk about pricing. So one of the age-old questions is: In my showroom, do I show pricing or do I not? And I'm telling you, there's a right answer. Grant, what's the right answer? You show pricing. Yes. Thank there's- you. Yeah, it's just so crazy. And and I fought that mentality too. And we're we're in agreement and I think we have a lot of opposition to it. But I mean, we know why customers come in. They come in looking for a solution to their problem and they want to know how much it costs. And if you want to add a third thing, give them a plan to make it easy and you've got it you've got it dialed in, right? Yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just as simple as that. I mean, if you go to buy a car and you walk onto the lot and none of the cars have any pricing on them, what goes through your head? What are they hiding? Yeah. What are they hiding? I mean, we we have pricing on all our, our units, uh, you know, and, and features and that kind of stuff. And then we have ballpark price sheets. So, like, we want to build a quote every time a customer yeah. comes in. But I'm realistic. I understand that not every time can you build a, a full quote. And sometimes the customer's looking at a wood and a pellet stove. And, man, that's a lot of time. So we created a, a pie chart, uh, average installation cost with all the things you need to know, like for a gas insert, if the cord's coming out, we want to know, we want them to know, you know, the things to think about if it's an uneven finish, how does it finish against there? And so that's just about, I mean, managing the expectations of the consumer. Uh, Grant, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and cut you off on this because I think what's really important to realize I've worked for businesses in the past that didn't post pricing. And the mentality is, I've heard this said in our industry, that, well, you know, if we post pricing, we're just like Home Depot. And and they got to come to a salesperson to get the pricing because the salesperson is the one that has the knowledge. And and, and I'm like, dude, that's, that's wrong. It's just wrong. Because if the only value your salesperson brings to the table is they can tell a customer how much it costs, they bring no value to the table. They just don't. And we have to get past the fact that our value is not in what our stuff costs it's about our expertise to help you select the right product and get that fire installed in your house on purpose in a way that it doesn't burn down no question 
No question. And and they they expect two things. You to tell them the solution to their problem and the price. And you don't have to give them an exact price, right, no. Tim? No, I mean, you not, can give them a all. ballpark. You, you give them a threshold. You give them an idea. Uh, the cool part about the ballpark pricing and the reason it's such a tool is that it's categorized. So like if we take gas inserts, it's gas inserts, it's options, it's liner kit, it's, it's labor, it's gas piping, it's permit, it's sales tax. It's everything that would be on a gas insert, right? And then it's average prices. The awesome part is the customer can go home. You wrote some prices on the brochure, that'll, that kind of stuff. They're not going to do any options. Their unit price is this amount. They can add up their own total. They can actually take two different units and put them together in your ballpark pricing and know kind of what it's going to cost. And then when they do call you, you've qualified them, right? And you're yeah. more apt to get the sale. Well, and I think, so it depends on your model. But but if your model is that you go out to the home before selling, which I'd say that's like 90% of our industry, at some point someone goes out to the house to make sure this is right. If that's your model, Ballpark pricing in the showroom is literally the best thing in the world because it does two things. Number one, it answers the customer's question. Is this a $10,000, a $5,000, a $3,000 purchase? It answers that question. Even if you're within a $500 or $1,000 range, that's fine. Number two is it opens a story loop in the customer's mind, okay? So so let's say I'm going to go buy a fireplace and my budget is 5000 bucks, And I go to a business and they say, hey, you know, most people in this situation are going to spend between... 47 and 5300 bucks. Well, okay, now I know I can afford it. Okay, so so my my box is checked. My question's answered. I can afford this. But there's just enough variance. I've got to take the next step in order to close the deal, which is if I want the exact price, I got to have them out to my house. That is a powerful, powerful model to open that story loop and win the sale in the house. Oh, it's so awesome, Tim. Okay. So when it comes to pricing, Grant, I don't want to get too granular. There's different ways companies can do this. And so I don't want to tell you how to do it, but you have to display pricing. Whether you want to lump it together, where you want to put an install range, where you want to put this product runs this much, average installation price, whatever it is. But if you're looking for tangible changes, you got to show pricing in some form. 100%. The next thing that I want to go to is how a showroom should be arranged. Now, I want to talk about POP as well. But before we do that, Grant, you mentioned Good, Better, Best earlier. And there's some other companies that have jumped on board. But man, you've been doing this for years and it's powerful. Can you talk about the approach of Good, Better, Best in a showroom scenario? Yeah. So um, we built our showroom in 2003 and it's uh, roughly 6,000 square feet. And so we filled it up with a lot of stuff when when uh, we originally did that, like billiard tables, tanning beds, along with fireplaces, barbecues, and a, a number of different things. When uh, my brother exited this company and I started to be, be in charge, um, I did get rid of those things, uh, uh, spas, billiard tables, and that kind of stuff. And then I had to look at the showroom that I needed to fill up. I just got rid of spas. I just got rid of billiard tables. And I got takes six real estate. Court. Yeah, now I have to fill it up and have it look nice. And uh, so I think the first thing was deciding what your categories are. Me and you have talked about different ways of displaying. And I think just having a category, whether it's uh, serving a purpose like retro or new construction, or it's, uh, I just went by product type seven years ago. Pellet stoves are with pellet stoves. Pellet inserts are with pellet inserts, right? Makes sense. Makes sense. Not always does it happen though. 
Uh, and it's because convenience trumps, you know, intentionality. So once you get your category figured out, it's so important to have a good, better, best. And it comes back to the sales flow and making it easy for your salespeople to sell. I got a negative uh, review or not a negative review. I think it was like a three-star review, but it was very poignant. It basically made the point that you had to be rich to shop at Falco's. And that like almost was like hard for me to understand. I was almost insulted because that's not how I try to be. Well, what it made me realize is we're a quality-driven company. We sell the best of the best. But does that mean we can't have a good option? And if we have a good option, are we going to sell more of our better and best? The answer is yes. If a customer comes in and you've priced them out before they even started, they're walking out or they're disconnected. If you have a good option every time in every category, it gives you something to start with and then it gives you something to sell as better. And it just helps with the flow and helps your salesperson out so much. Uh, The last thing I'll say after the categories and the good, better, best is set up, this is something that Louis Falco just hammered to me. Straight, it's either it's either vertical, horizontal, or out of 45, clean, everything is immaculate, bathrooms included, under stoves included, behind stoves included, and tight. And that's what you see in our showroom. You yeah. see you see those things, straight, clean, and tight. And if you can do that, get it in categories, good, better, best, you're gonna help your sales team out so much. Oh, and, and not just your sales team, your customers. You know, the good, oh, better, yeah. best makes so much sense. So like if I'm going to go buy, let's just think about a BMW. If I'm going to go buy a BMW, what do they have? A 3 Series, a 5 Series, and a 7 Series. What is that? That's a good, better, best. Now, I'm not a car guy, but but I already understand that with BMW. So BMW doesn't need to necessarily say, hey, Tim, the 3 Series is good, the 5 Series is better, the 7 Series is best. I understand that. Okay, fireplaces are different. We don't know the categories. Brands mean nothing to us. So a good, better, best is powerful because you can start to put categories or buckets to put the products into where they can identify what do I get for this amount of money. And and I think that, I mean, you got to do good, better, best with everything. I mean, Grant, you've done that with your entire showroom, with barbecues, with wood stoves, with gas inserts. Everything is on a yeah. good, better, best. And you know what I learned, Tim, is that like the good isn't a bad option. The good is the right option for some people's solution. So like you take fireplaces. We have uh, our uh, everyday low prices on fireplaces. Novus fireplaces start at $9.99. You can add the remote, you can add the blower and that kind of stuff. Well, a customer that's coming in on a budget type remodel doing their master bedroom but wants a fireplace is not going to buy a $2,700 fireplace from me. It doesn't matter how amazing it is. And it, yeah, it's better but it's not what they need. It doesn't yeah. solve their problem. They're budget conscious. Let's give them something to build up to. It's still 20,000 BTUs, beautiful little flame. Yeah. And it's exactly what they expected. If you don't understand and you go good, better, if you go better, best, you just leave that out as a solution. It's not a cheaper solution. It's the right solution for their scenario. It's so good. And, and when you're in a good, better, best model, man, I'm telling you, you can stack the value just like movie popcorn at the theater. I mean, you can stack the value to drive certain products depending on the situation of the customer. I, I think it's really good. Yeah. One thing that I want to throw at you here is the idea of POP. So I'm going to go out on a limb, and I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say most manufacturers' POP sucks. And I just I think that most of it is designed with an engineer or a salesperson in mind, not with the consumer and the problems that they have. I'm not saying all of it's bad, but a lot of it is. And I noticed that you use POP very well in your showroom, but you use it sparingly. 
Yeah, you know, it's because of the struggle, Tim. It's not necessarily agreeing with the messaging that they're giving me. And and half the time I have to pay to market their companies in my <laughs> store, which is absolutely, if any manufacturer are listening, the fact that I am selling and representing your product and then you charge me to advertise <laughs> it in my showroom is is insane. You know, the grocery business, it. you got to pay for shelf space. Oh, I mean, it's just exactly there's value in my showroom. And if you don't give me that stuff, I'm going to be upset about it. And it's yeah. just and, and, it, and but the slow to get back to the why we have very little is I don't think there's a, a lot of amazing POP out there. And I think it's about messaging. So when consumers come in here, I think every store is a little bit different, but we're, we want to be comfort specialists, zonal heater specialists. And so our messaging is how we make people's lives easier, how we make people's lives better. It doesn't really have to do with brand related stuff, but we do use uh, brand related stuff so that people have uh, an attachment to that as they've come and gone from our showroom. Well, and I think that you've actually been aggressive with POP. One of the one of the major display areas in your showroom with POP was a manufacturer's trade show booth at Expo. And I, what's the story on this? Like, I walked in and I'm like, "This is unreal that you guys have this." And you're like, "Yeah, it was this brand's that, booth at the trade show. We just bought it from them because it looked good." Yeah, so that's where my dad comes in. My dad is just he's got a gut that tells him the right things to do and he's not afraid to ask. And so it has nothing to do with me when we built our showroom in uh 2003 to 2005 or 2004 to 2005, uh we needed to fill it up, right? And so um uh my dad had a relationship with the the people at Quadrifier and uh he basically asked, "Hey, what are you guys going to do with this booth? When is it kind of up? I would like to buy it." And so we bought the entire booth and my dad is uh just so he understands construction. So of course, he we put it together and it's 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 actually it's now dated. I hate to admit that, and we have to update it. But man, it's a wow factor. And it's, oh, yeah. it's funny you bring it up because I don't I didn't even think about that when you were talking about POP in the showroom, but that's part of the effect. My dad loves to deliver wow. And yeah. one of our first pillars is to deliver wow, whether it's on the back end of the installation, uh, you know, urgent and complete sheet, or when they walk in the door. And that, that booth, that purchase, which was ex- extremely inexpensive for us, truthfully, uh, has, has been a huge part of that wow factor. Well, I mean, that, that thing's like 18 feet tall oh, and yeah. like 20 by 20 with the footprint. It, I mean, it's impressive when you look at it. And, and it's funny, we even actually took the colors from it and, and painted our entire building to kind of match that thing. And that's that warm comfort feeling that you had that they created. And yeah, it's been an outstanding tool. We were actually able to sell a few pieces to some other dealers uh, in and around Washington as well. <laughs> nice. We'll get back to our conversation about the showroom in just one second. Hey, if you've been listening to the last few episodes, you've heard me talking about the blitz trips that Grant and I are scheduling for retailers across the country. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you're thinking, hey, I've got the knowledge, but implementing it is so hard. I need direction. I need a path. Grant and I would love to come visit you at your business. And if you book a Blitz trip, we're going to fly in. And basically the first night, we're going to spend the evening talking with you over dinner and or happy hour about the big picture of your business. What is it that you're after? What's your journey to get here? And what pitfalls are immediately in front of you that you just feel like you can't overcome. 
The next day, we'll spend with you and or your management team, and we're going to review that vision for your company and also look at the specific systems and processes that are in place to get you there. And I'm going to be focusing in particular on sales and marketing, while Grant will focus on installation, service, and the warehouse. But I'm telling you, this day is going to be intense. And by the end of it, we're going to put together a clear plan of the immediate next steps that need to be taken. Now, the last day is going to be a team event where we're going to lead your people through sales and installation courses that are going to complement everything that was discussed with management the day before. And as follow-up, we'll provide you a written summary of the trip. And basically, we're going to identify the strengths that your business has that you should be pushing into and also some of the weak spots that need to be addressed. And all of it will be wrapped up into next steps that need to be taken in order to grow. Now, it's been super exciting to get this off the ground, and literally as I'm recording this, I'm looking at flights for a couple of upcoming blitz trips, and this is something that we want you to take advantage of. Now, I will say that it's expensive, and the reason why is because me and Grant's time is really limited, and we can't do that many of these trips, and there's less and less space every time one gets booked. But for the businesses that want to take the next step and want an aspect of personal coaching to get a game plan of what their next six months to a year should look like, we wanted to make this available. So if you want to take advantage of a Blitz trip, you can go to itsfiretime.com slash Blitz. That's itsfiretime.com slash Blitz. There's nothing worse than feeling like you don't have a plan of attack. This Blitz trip will change that, and we can't wait to work with you. Well, here's what I want to talk about next. So we talked about pricing. We've talked about POP. Businesses may not be able to implement this next change right away, but I think it's worth thinking about. I think that as as we arrange our showrooms, we have to be thinking about arranging products by category. So Grant, you talked about pellet stoves or with pellet stoves, wood stoves or with wood stoves. I want to take it one step further and see what you think about this. I, I believe that we need to arrange the products in our showroom floor based on the scenarios they apply to. And I'm going to give you guys here five categories to arrange your showroom in. You're going to have categorically a section for open fireplaces, a section for retro a section for remodel slash new construction, and a section for freestanding. I guess that's four categories, but retro slash new construction is together. And so you think about this, in your section of the showroom for open fireplaces, you show products that go in open fireplaces. Inserts, gas logs, whatever else you have that goes in an open fireplace. Freestanding is pretty self-explanatory. If it's a freestanding unit, it goes with the freestanding units. Retro is interesting. So I think businesses sometimes make a mistake by putting all their ZC fireplaces together because Mr. and Mrs. Smith come in, they see the six foot linear and think, oh, that's awesome. And technically it could work in their house, but they've got an old, you know, DV built in fireplace and a doghouse out their back wall. And it's going to involve an entire you know, remodel to, to put this thing in. And that hurts the sales process. So what you do is you separate your ZC fireplaces by retro and then remodel slash new construction. Now, okay, I'm laying my cards on the table. This is how you need to think about retro. A fireplace can only be retro if it frames at less than 43 inches wide, if it frames at less than 36 inches high, if it has top and rear vent options, and it comes in multiple sizes going smaller. If it doesn't meet every single one of those criteria, it is not a retro fireplace, it's a remodel slash new construction. And the reason this is important is that retro means the customers have a built-in fireplace, but they're not getting an outside contractor involved to 
pour a new foundation and, and reframe their entire wall, it's a facelift on their fireplace. Retro fireplaces, the beauty of them is that it's just like a gas insert, but it happens to have a little bit of tile on the front. And by asking the right questions, by the unit being that flexible, and the fact that it comes in multiple sizes, and if you can get multiple depths, man, you're cooking with gas, it allows you to exploit a part of the market that none of your competition is going after and keep the customer focused on these options. Now, if they look at their retro options and want something else, you say, absolutely, let's go to the remodel section. Now, you might have to get a contractor involved for this remodel, but here's what we can do. I think that those buckets are powerful, and I'd, I'd love to hear your take on that, Grant. I know I'm just throwing this at you. Yeah, you no, I mean, we've talked about this. I think uh, I think it's brilliant, and I love it. I think it's hard. I think it can be easy, and all the information's there, but it's a it's a different way of thinking, and I think it is difficult for us to change our entire showroom or to think we could change our entire showroom to that. I would say that both ways are good, but the reason your way is better is because it's basically taking the customer down a funnel and managing expectations. And as you transfer from one scenario to the other, since you've categorized it in a way, it's managing the expectations so much better. So you're making the experience easier for your sales staff and better for your consumer. Uh, And it's hard at first. And this is what I would say. Everything's hard at first. Hard gets easy. If you can spend the time invest in this properly and think about how your salespeople will flow through your showroom, put it together like that. I think it makes it far easier for you in the long term to turn over salespeople, to train salespeople, to make sure that you're landing as many customers as you possibly can with each salesperson. I'm with you. And one thing that we've done, this is you know investing in your own POP, is we've made gigantic signs for the showrooms explaining yeah. the difference between the products in those categories. I was I was out working with a dealer in the Midwest. We were talking through this and we, we looked at their entire fireplace line and we just broke it up on, does this go in the open fireplace section? Does this go in the retro? Does this go in the remodel slash new construction? And that starts to make you aware of, do I need more product lines, right? Like if, if you're manufacturer doesn't have stuff available in the retro category, you better go find one that does because there are millions of homes around the country that have 25-year-old DV fireplaces that need to be replaced. And if your only option is going to involve a $15,000 plus remodel of their house, it's just not going to happen. So I think that that really helps. And having signs up in your different sections of this is our retro section. These are the different series of fireplaces in it with contrast between them and average installation price ranges. Man, that starts helping the customer make a decision. Oh, no question, Tim. I, I feel like that is just so good. And we've talked about managed expectations on on so many different occasions. And in essence, you are just managing expectations of the installation and consumers' expectations through that entire process. It's pretty amazing. Especially if you've got signs up that are showing those different scenarios. And it's so simple. That's the thing that's so crazy, Tim, is what you're talking about, we all know is right, I think. But we think we're going to keep it up in our head and we're going to sell the customer on it. And you just got to put it in front of the customer and make it as simple as you can. And you're doing that. It's not easy to do all those things. But once you do it, man, what a process. Yeah, I'm telling you, you know, manufacturers that are listening, the first manufacturer to do this is going to win, period. You're going to win. No question. No question. Okay. I want to, I want to end the interview talking about two things very quickly. One is a tire. When I go to Falco's, the staff looks very good. 
they're wearing branded Falco's gear, but it's not like stiff and and yes. uh, cookie cutter. It, it's it's very comfortable. Why is that so important? Well, <laughs> we're in Spokane, Washington. You're not going to wear a button down and slacks and sell people a wood stove or a pelt stove or even a gas insert in a lot of cases. So there's a balancing act and you want to appeal to all people. And so some people won't care. But some people will care if you're dressed too nice. Some people won't care if you're dressed like a slob, but some people will. And so I believe we're just real people with real clothes that represent who we are, but they're not always the same shirts. My staff doesn't always have on the same Falco shirts. There's a brand to it and a camaraderie and an organization to it, but it's also not overwhelming, not intimidating, not too rigid. Uh, And I think there's a careful balancing act because you're selling to a lot of different people. Yeah. In our, in our industry, we're a very informal industry and that can actually really work. I mean, there, there's people that want to go in and spend 10 grand from someone that's in a t-shirt. I'm, I'm okay yeah. with that, but that t-shirt better be clean. It better look nice. It better have some kind of branding on it. Better not be wrinkled. Yeah. So I think that there's flexibility here, but for you as a leader, it's important to outfit your team. And, and I, you got to use POP money for this. You know, I've seen companies that make employees pay for their own attire and like, that's insane, you know, provide attire for them so that they're comfortable and they, and they feel professional. That, that's, it's really basic, but it makes a big difference. And, and I would guess that if your company has just awesome looking, comfortable apparel that looks professional, it's going to stand out from your competition. Yeah, no question, Tim. Grant, the very last thing. So for people listening to this, I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of people that, know this is right, but think I can't do it. Or they've kind of like those commercials for like Febreze that say you've gone nose blind, right? They've gone mm-hmm. like, they've mm-hmm. gone nose blind to their showroom to the fact that like it's way messier, it's way dirtier, it has way more clutter than they think. I want to talk about decluttering. This is something that is so important for businesses to do. And, and I've done this myself, like probably once a year, I would go through my showrooms and we would throw away so much stuff. And I was pretty ruthless. Like you've, you've been into some of the showrooms I managed before and like, there's not much there. Like I would say that I went to the side of being minimalist rather than taking a risk of having too much stuff on the floor. But the act of decluttering and just getting rid of stuff is so valuable for a business. And it's and, and fighting clutter is a, a huge deal. I have a 6,000 square foot showroom with a ton of product in it and I want to show everything and I have accessories on display and it's, it's difficult. I fight the clutter game all the time. So what I will say is I can go into a room and I can take the same amount of product that looks like garbage and I cannot, I, I don't have to remove one thing to make it not look cluttered. It all isn't, now I'm not saying you don't remove stuff to get rid of clutter, but things look cluttered because they're not straight. They're not tight. There's no intentional behind them. They're not always cleaned. Fighting clutter is a constant battle and you never have it conquered. And what I would tell you, I do a Monday walk around every Monday. Some Mondays, it takes me five minutes. Some Mondays, it takes me two hours. I will be out there just staring at a space and my staff will come up and they'll say, hey, do you need some help? Are we doing something? And I'll be seriously just 10 minutes staring. And I'm trying to sort through in my mind, why does this look cluttered for me? 
And I'm going to tell you, I think it's the main principal in the company uh, that needs to be looking at that or the sales manager, uh, depending on what size of company you are, that needs to be evaluating that on a daily basis. The checklist is going to help you greatly. But those things that you become complacent to, if you walk around every Monday, you don't get complacent to it because all of a sudden something's changed and you call it out. Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, everybody gets complacent to it. I can think probably eight months back, we had a sales rep in that was a friend of mine. And this rep had not ever been into the showroom because we didn't buy their products. And I was just excited to invite them in and, and show them what I, what I did with the place. And so this rep came by and I gave him a tour. And I'm telling you, when you're giving a tour to somebody else that you respect, all of a sudden I see everything. Oh man, you know what? That ceiling tile has part of the paint chipped off of it. Oh, you know what? That light bulb didn't get changed out with the checklist. Like, I'm telling you, find someone you respect and give them a tour of the showroom and you're going to all of a sudden start to see it like a new customer. This rep was very gracious and was actually pretty blown away at the showroom. But I'm telling you, for me, I had a checklist to work on after that presentation. I can so relate to that, Tim. Sometimes I'll be so proud and so ready to share. (laughs) And I'll be walking around. We'll get to like maybe in the back somewhere. Like we have an area. It's called Old Falcos. And it's because it's literally our old showroom. And as we went through and decluttered every area of our our grounds it this is kind of the catch-all area and the last area and i walk people in there i'm like oh my gosh i turn right around because i don't want that to be a representation of us now i'll take them in there and i'll show them and i divulge why they get it they understand but no i can totally relate as you're showing someone you respect it totally changes the way you look at it yourself well you've said this before that it's not what it is it's what it looks like. I think that advice for the showroom is very powerful. And, and we've talked about a lot of things today. I've been taking notes as we've been talking here for people listening. And I think that if you're wondering where to start, I think this is what you do. You know, step one, you make the checklist and you have your utility hire, knock that thing out, turn it in every week. We would, we would just track it every week. So we have a spreadsheet showing what has been done on what weeks, and there's a scoreboard where that team member's held accountable. So that's step one. Checklist, your utility hire knocks it out. Step two, get pricing in your showroom. If you already have pricing, take a new look at it and actually ask, is this done in a way that's helpful for the customer? Pricing's a tough one, but step two is show some kind of pricing in your showroom. Step three, Attire. Make sure that your team is wearing logoed apparel, and this can be co-opted with your manufacturers and, and show their things too, but make sure everything has your company logo on it, whether it's a hat, a vest, a shirt, whatever, so that team members are comfortable. Make sure that they've got good-looking apparel. Step four, pick one section of the showroom and commit to arranging it by category. I mean, every year you should be remodeling one section of your showroom anyway. I mean, Grant, right now you're in the middle of a remodel on a wall of electric fireplaces. When it comes time for that remodel, intentionally think about what category is this and how am I going to arrange my fireplaces? If you can do those four things, create the checklist, display pricing, have your team logoed out with good-looking attire, and then remodel one section of your fireplace based on category, man, you will have such a leg up on the competition, and that is going to set a new trajectory for the way that your showroom communicates with people. So good, Tim. Well, Grant, this has been amazing. I appreciate your time, and I can't believe that we only have one more section left. I know. Next week, we're going to dive into marketing, and there's a reason why that section comes last. So thanks again for being here, man. You brought a ton of value today. 
Well, you guys heard me spill the beans at the end of that conversation that the last department of a winning hearth business is marketing. And we're going to dive headfirst into that next week. Before we round out though, there's really one thing I want you guys to take away from this. In that conversation about the showroom, when we discussed the layout, I absolutely believe that a hearth showroom needs to be laid out into four specific categories. And we need to have signage about this in our showroom. The four categories are open fireplace, freestanding stove, retro, and remodel slash new construction. And this is super important because you got to think when someone walks into a hearth business, they have no clue what an insert is. They don't know what the brands mean. And so people just kind of gravitate toward colors they like or maybe a design they like, but they actually don't know if it's going to work for their space. If we have signage in our showrooms that says open fireplaces and anything that would apply to an open fireplace goes there, freestanding stoves where all of your freestanding stoves are, retro, and you have a picture of what a retro job is, and then remodel slash new construction. These are categories that make sense for people. And I believe that when a customer comes into the showroom, first and foremost, they need to sit down with you and you need to talk through what's their situation. And at the end of that conversation, you can say to the customer, hey, thanks a ton for letting me know everything about your project your scenario is going to need one of our retro fireplaces. I'd love to go over there and show you what that is. The reason I'm so big on retro in particular is that I think we make a mistake thinking that a ZC fireplace is a ZC fireplace is a ZC fireplace, and it's not. There's so many customers out there that have old builder boxes that all frame out at basically the same dimensions that are 25 to 30 years old. These fireplaces are built into the wall. There's a doghouse with a direct vent pipe right up the back. And the people that own these homes don't want to bring in a whole contractor for a massive remodel. And the truth is you don't need one. This is a perfect retro job. So a retro job is going to be a simple job that requires just a teeny bit of demo work and a little bit of finish, and it doesn't require a remodeling contractor to take on a massive project. I think that there's massive opportunity here because the truth is in a lot of these homes, there's just 12 by 12 tile around the fireplace. It can be popped right off. The old unit comes out just like an insert. The new unit goes in. You put backer board up and then either you or a contractor that you work with as a sub can go in to replace that little bit of tile or stone. There's a huge difference between that kind of a job and putting in a six-foot linear that requires an entire wall to be reframed and part of a new foundation to be poured. And I believe that understanding the difference between retro and remodel slash new construction is absolutely critical. We can talk more about this in the future, and you probably have questions as well. You can send those questions to Tim at itsfiretime.com and we'll answer those in the last episode of this season. I went to the Midwest a number of months ago to work with a dealer out there on how to lay out their showroom and the entire premise was set up on these categories. Where's our section for freestanding stoves? Where's our section for an open fireplace? That would contain vented logs, vent-free logs, gas inserts, right? Anything that goes into an open fireplace is in that section. And then we had in the zero clearance area a retro section where the majority of the work could be done without any outside contractors. And we had our remodel slash new construction section where there does need to be a contractor involved because the size and the complexity of these type of jobs. 
The beauty is this, is that when you start using that terminology of retro versus remodel new construction, it gives customers options and sets an expectation. So obviously your retro fireplaces are going to be more limited, but they need to be thought of like an insert. I mean, there's a space that's only so big and there's certain parameters that have to be met for a fireplace to work in there. Otherwise, we move to the remodel new construction. So when you talk to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, if they don't like the options that are in retro, you can say, hey, that's no problem. We could take a look at our remodel section over here, but that does mean that you're going to have to get a contractor involved in this project because it is going to involve a substantial remodel of your wall. Setting that expectation is a game changer, and I'm telling you that if dealers and manufacturers can start to think about these categories and use these pieces of terminology in their literature, on their websites, and in their showrooms, it'll be a total game changer. So with that in mind, we're going to round out today, and I'm going to mention before we leave that if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. And I've said it before, but I want to give a shout out to Napoleon. I mean, as of right now, we don't do sponsorships on this podcast or anything like that, but they've been a company that under the radar has been supporting this effort. And it's just amazing that they believe in the content and that they're looking to invest in the industry at large. So I'm giving them a shout out. They didn't ask for it, but nice job, Napoleon. For the rest of you, you can contribute whatever you want. If you want to take this podcast out for a virtual cup of coffee and contribute five bucks a month, that's totally fine. If you want to contribute more as you're able, that's great too. And basically, we are working to outsource the administrative duties of this podcast so that we can keep the level of content as high as possible for you in the future. So with that said, I hope you guys have an amazing rest of the week. I know there is a ton here to go on. Don't be overwhelmed. Just pick one part and get started. If you have any questions that you need answered, we'll do that in the last episode of this season. You can send those questions to tim at itsfiretime.com. I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn.